Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. Our guest speaker for today is a multifamily investment broker at Washington First Properties. He specializes in large portfolio management, development, and investment consulting. Here to talk to us about his journey from starting small to diversifying into condos, development, and multifamily, let's welcome Todd Locker. All right. Today, we've got Todd Locker on with us. Todd is a multifamily investment broker at Washington First Properties. Todd, thanks for coming on the show. If you wouldn't mind, would you tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe how you got to where you are now? Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. I've been in real estate for shoot, over 30, 35 years now. And I got into it when I was you know, going to a junior college. And then I didn't like selling residential. So I learned quickly that it was easier to go talk to somebody that has a duplex or a triplex. Investors want to, you can go talk to them about their pricing and their investment. They want to talk. And for a homeowner, you know, a young kid at 22, they don't really you know, give you much credibility. So it's just easier to go talk to people and start knowing investment management. And so what I ended up doing is I got into property management because I knew I wanted to own a bunch of property. And so I started managing on the site level for an old couple and then eventually got into a company called Pinnacle and then ended up managing more and more units and became a regional portfolio manager from the site level, which I was the first one nationwide that they ever hired and ended up managing about 10,000 units for them in three states. And it was all apartments mostly. There was some commercial, and then there were market rates, tax credit, project-based Section 8. It was everything from you know a C class, B class, A class portfolios. So I learned a lot. And then during that time, my family, when I was in college, my father and I, we ended up buying a triplex together. And he inherited some money. He didn't make a lot of money during his life. He's still alive, but he needed, I wasn't making a lot, but I had decent credit. And he was, when his folks died, my grandparents passed away. They left him some money, not a lot, but he was down to like the last 7,000. So I found um, a triplex for him before I had my license and we bought that, but I needed to co-sign for him on that. So we bought three, two bedroom, one bath triplex in, up in Seattle area for 103000 And then my brother Chad and I and my other brother Scott, we renovated that over a year and then we sold it for 205000 about a year to 18, less than 18 months later. And then my father at the time, he ended up finding one out of the paper, a 14 unit, and they were all mostly two bedroom, one bath units, large, built in I think 55, a Marble Creek building. And so we just, we did a 1031 into that and then um, renovated that, my brothers and my father and I, and then we ended up, I think we got that for 489, you know, with that, our equity down and then the owner carried the contract 
And then we were about two years in, we were able to get a loan for about maybe it was 650 to 800,000. And so then we were able to take a bunch of money out and then ended up buying a six unit with that. And then my father and my brother, Chad, renovated that. And then I moved down with Pinnacle and moved down to Portland to become a regional property manager from Seattle. And then my dad, that's what he lived on for many years. His income from those 20 units, two buildings, you know, more than doubled his regular income from the Bon Marche Sonic Bird. Yeah. Todd, that sounds pretty similar to AJ and my story. We started with one house, renovated it, refinanced it, and then just kept diving into more and more units. It's pretty awesome that it just works. And I'm pretty impressed with your family's story. So what made you guys decide to buy that triplex, that first one? All right. So went back, I graduated in 83. So that kind of tells you I'm kind of an old guy, I guess. Even though I don't want to admit that. So during that time, remember like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous was big. They had, I don't even know if you guys remember, they're the two short guys. They were God, we, the we rights, might, we the might not have been alive. <laughs> yeah, and so there was all of this kind of like, you know, you got to buy real estate and here's how to, you know, that was just on the market then. And my mom, at the time, my mom and dad were divorced. My mom, she got into underwriting. She was an underwriter for a mortgage company and then became an auditor and then was way senior, found a lot of fraud and then did a lot of, she spoke at a lot of symposiums and stuff about fraud and underwriting and stuff like that back in like the nineties. And so I had a real big interest in real estate and trying to make it, but I didn't have either have you got legal power, you got money power, or you got your knowledge, right? So I didn't have any money. I didn't know the laws very good. So all I could do is, you know, work on my knowledge and then try to maneuver my way in and have some legal power too with things. So, you know, through the years, we just learned, I knew I needed to, you know, break myself in because we didn't have anything to be able to go buy except for that triplex, you know, a minimum down FHA mortgage, you know? Yeah. And That's then, interesting. The three legs you were chatting about. So legal power, financial power, and the knowledge. That's kind of the first time that I've heard that. What is it do you think about legal power? How is that, I guess, a major factor in, I guess, a real estate deal? Well, so say you're on the real estate, you're the agent, right? You know, you want to get paid, right? So or you want, you're an investor and you want to get in first position, right? So what do you have to do to get it, you know, to be in that league, to take that legal power? So mm-hmm. you made a decision to go buy something or go list a property for somebody, right? But, you know, if you go list it back in the olden days, you might not have a very good listing. It might've been a gentleman's handshake. And then at the closing table, you know, you might've had a real listing, but at the closing table, it wasn't written up good enough. And they want to do, you know, they want to decrease your commissions, right? Yeah, you put the whole deal together for them. And so what do you do? You had all the knowledge, right? But what do you do now legally to protect your position and your client's position? You know, and it could be an investor or it could be the seller. But And so that's all the legal, you know, stuff. So then you can kind of, then you have some weight to be able to, you know, force a close or force some better negotiations. But you got to understand all that. 
and know when you can push and when you can't. That is so interesting. I think that that is one area of real estate that is just not discussed very much, you know, in 2022 or even, you know, 2020 and going forward, like it's more about the sexy value ads, kind of like what you did with your triplex, you know, add value and then sell it for double. And no one is really thinking about, all right, when times get tough, if your contracts aren't dialed, maybe you were a lender on a deal and you didn't get yourself into first position and you know, the property might not sell for more than the loan and the people in second position get hosed. Like we haven't seen that market in 14 years since 2008, nine, 10. So it's definitely a piece of the business that I would say that there are a lot of people who haven't learned too much about it. So thank you for bringing that up. I think our first, you know, triplex that we bought, it was like a nine, nine and a half percent loan. 10% 10% loan or a 9.9 cap? Nine and a half loan was the interest rate. On an yeah. Rate. What was the cap rate on it? Did you calculate out the no, cap? No, we, we did because it was kind of, one of the units was vacant and then they were moving out. Like it was tragic, a, a crack head with two kids. It was just really sad. But. So as a multifamily broker, how do you handle, I guess you were saying you couldn't really get a cap rate because one of the units was vacant, but Almost every multifamily broker is doing a pro forma cap rate with, you know, projected Projected market rents. (laughs) Yeah, projected rents and then projected expenses. Yes, that's kind of funny right now. So because I'm a CPM and I manage so much property and I'm a CCIM, I tend to get into the weeds with management in order to get really good, you know, performance. And my rule of thumb is I like to under promise and over deliver because I don't want to be in a spot where imagine this seven days I get notice of the takeover of two buildings and it's a 1500 unit portfolio that is and we're getting two of the buildings are about 700 units that's coming down the pipe everybody in our company had left you know that was going to take over and was pushing you know the rents and the caps so, and then I wasn't going to get any, I had the assistant manager on a 430 unit building and that was the only staff member that stayed. I had to go get rid of everybody because the company that we were taking it over from ended up putting all their bad employees in. And so I didn't <laughs> want to take every left. I didn't want, they, they I, I didn't want to help their HR, you know, by getting rid They were just going to use our, this transition to offload. Now we got a job for you, Johnny. But, you know, we're selling it, you know, and we won't have one after the day. But if the new company wants you, you know, go ahead. But, you know, once I kind of interview people over these seven days, I go, there's only one person to hire. And then what you do, too, I like to go do some physical shops of communities. And so I'm going, it was down in Wilsonville at the time. And it wasn't, it was just before Wilsonville was getting, you know, where it is now. They were buying on rents, projected rents, $150 more than what we could get, even with the renovations that they were going to do. And there was two buildings. I had one of them. And I had to go to the owner. I'm going, really? You guys, I can't do this, you know, because I have the knowledge now. And I could go to them with valid, you know, you're not going to get the. And then so they go, well, I guess we're not going to do a lot of the renovations right out of the gate. This is going to be more of a long-term you know, try to 
you let the market catch up with us. But they were the other 800 units they bought in other states. They were really, really, really good deals. And they had were forced to kind of buy these two deals, but they were sold kind of a bill of goods, you know. And, you know, I mean, it's not fun to have those conversations with owners, especially seven days into that relationship, you know. And you don't want to blow up their deal, but for sure. But I mean, there's only so much juice you can squeeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by having good information, you know, then I could get some information from them about what they really, you know, their big deal was the other buildings, the other 800 units. So that was a home run. So was this when you were with Pinnacle and managing? And are you doing that now? What are you doing now? So in 2008, I went on sabbatical because I was working like 60, 80 hours a week. And I've done that for about 16 years. And it was just sheer adrenaline because we were bringing on in my portfolio alone, one to two buildings a month for almost two and a half, three years. And that's just an insane amount of growth. And these were all like 50 plus unit, you know, the 200 unit buildings down in, actually it was in three states. So it was just a lot of work, a lot of fun. And then, you know, people were kind of moving up and moving on and the chemistry kind of changed and it wasn't fun anymore. So I decided to go on a health break and sabbatical and I wanted to go on for two years. So in 2008, I did that. And it was funny. So that's like 25 years into owning that six unit and that the 14 unit. And we've already renovated it once. So then I hadn't seen it for about a decade. And so I go, Hey dad, I'd like to store some stuff in there. And he goes, yeah, it's all cleaned up. It looks good. So I pulled my U-Haul in to go store some stuff in the basement. And this is only 14 units, but it was a slumlord. There was weeds up to my waist. And dad goes, well, I've been having a hard time kind of renting stuff because he would go out of town and go on vacations for three, four months out of the year. And he was living off the rent and he wasn't paying attention to the details. And it was just, it was a slump. So I got really mad. And then it ended up taking like, it was 14 units and over two tons of stuff to the dump and had about 35, 40 bicycles that we ended up taking to a nonprofit that shipped them down to Costa Rica. And then he didn't have any money to replace roofs. Insurance, you got to look at all your expenses annually, but he wasn't doing that. He got his insurance rates up to like 14,000, you know, for 14 units. And I'm going, well, that's what I pay for a 64 unit building, you know, and I have better insurance than you. So I got that, you know, saved like $8,000 a year in insurance form and then renovated all the units. And then I put a performance together, you know, for the brokers and what it was doing. And I went and got all the comps and, you know, based on real numbers and what was going on. And everybody comes back and they were between, because we wanted to sell at that time in like around 2010, 11. And they were coming back at, well, they give you a range. And what they thought they could sell it for was $285,000 less than what I thought we could get for it with just, you know, maybe taking three to six months to sell them. And I did all the work anyway, so we should at least try to get the higher amount. And then if I'm going to give somebody 100, 150,000 in commissions, that's 300,000. So then I'm, I'm going, well, we're going to get this. So I listed, I ended up getting my broker's license, getting it out of ICE in Washington. And I sold them and we sold it for 285000 more and saved the commissions. And that's what got us into a 1031 into the 60 units that we have down in Vancouver in the condominium. So we were refinancing when we met at WFG Title. Yeah. So you guys bought the triplex in 83? 
that's when I graduated. I think it was around 87, 88. Okay. Yeah. And then you sold that. And so you came out with an extra 100,000 ish, maybe a little. I mean, you guys did some work on that property, yeah, but yeah. then then you bought the 14 unit. Yeah. And so then you guys did a bunch of work to that. And 20, 25 years later, right? Well, that was right when we got it. So, you know, it had bars. It was like in the kind of considered the bad part of town, but I went to high school in that part of town and it was really not that bad at all. And a lot of people that lived in that neighborhood, you know, they were like, you know, a couple of white guys coming in. What are you going to do? Well, we're going, you know, we want to go, can we take the bars off the windows? I mean, with that scary area. No, this neighborhood's great, you know, and we're going, well, here's a unit that we're renovating. Would you want to, you know, if we can charge you $250 more, would you move into that? Oh my God. Yeah. We don't want to move. You know, this is our neighborhood. And, you know, I retired from the railroad from the phone company and I have a really great pension and, you know, I don't want to buy a house and we like it here, you know? So I was like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll transfer. So we moved about half the people and just cleaning up the building and talking to people about, you know, that wasn't that bad of a neighborhood. I knew the neighborhood and it was coming up, you know, it wasn't on the decline. So we renovated all that, ended up getting refinancing that and then taking that money and buying the six unit for free and clear for 300,000. And so what year did you buy the 14 unit? That would have been around 89, 90. Okay. And then you bought the six unit maybe a couple years after. Yeah, it was probably say like 96, 96. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, we renovated it, had to season everything. The values went up, the neighborhood was going up. And then mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. my recollection is it's like a 650 to 800. I'm not sure if we got 800 the first time we refinanced it or that was the second time, but we got around 650. So we netted probably 400,000 off that loan, you know. What did you guys do with the proceeds those proceeds went to go buy that six unit it was kind of funny it was this real estate managing company they were ran ran the six unit all two bedrooms and three three or in two three bedrooms and they just ran it into the ground so it's four two bedroom one baths and then three two bedroom one baths and a brick building overlooking lake washington and lashai above lashai and yeah. it was just a cool building and 300,000, you know, because it was just they had bad, and it was just a wreck, but it had good bones. So then we fixed that up. My brother and my dad did because in 97, I moved down to Portland, and then they did a really good job and got everything up. And so we bought it for 300,000. On that one, I think he did do an $800,000 mortgage on, you know, oh. the renovation and everything. So you guys bought the six unit maybe seven years later. And then when did you guys refine or when did you guys buy the portfolio in Vancouver? All right. Did you exit the 20 units to buy the portfolio in Vancouver or did you refinance? We sold that. So when I said that we were looking for brokers, you know, to list, I ended up listing those two buildings, the the six unit and the 14 unit. And you guys did the 1031 exchange. So what year did you buy the portfolio in? That was 2012. 2012, a great time to buy. So, okay. So you bought your first property, 
with a hundred thousand dollars in nineteen eighty no with seven thousand cash. What? Oh, seven thousand cash. That was a seven thousand dollar. Okay, seven thousand cash turns into eighteen million dollars of real estate in what twenty five years or no? Maybe it's maybe it's thirty. Just thirty. Thirty five. Yeah, 35-ish, yeah. 35 years. But, I mean, that's pretty incredible. Like, And so how much equity do you have in it now? I guess that's going to be 45 well, years later. Well, so to this day, before we refinanced the loan, right? Yeah. You said it's 14, 20% LTV? 14 to, we have about... Just in this deal, we have about $15, $16 million worth of So $7,000 turned into $15 million in equity. Yeah. And that doesn't include the cash flow. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and, and all the tax write offs, <laughs> I'll go with that. Yeah. Right. So that's a pretty neat story. And so just to recap it, you guys bought the triplex in 87. And then sold it and bought a 14 unit around, you know, 90, 91, or maybe fixed, 89. Fixed that up for 18 yeah. months. Fixed it and then fixed up the 14 unit and then refinanced re re that, took the proceeds and bought a six unit in 1997 after values went up. And then you sold the portfolio of the 20 units. Did you sell that in 2012? Yeah, 2012. So you sold it in 2012, and then you 1031 exchange. Actually, it was like yeah, the beginning of 2012, and then we closed on the 1031 exchange for the, the 60 units that we're in with the land to go build 60 units because that was in a receivership, and that closed in September of 2012. Wow. And so this now was the one thing that you 1031 into. It was condos with land. And then you could, yeah, was, it, was, was it a distressed property kind of? Yeah, the original declarant lost it in 2000, basically was losing it in 2007, eight when everything was crashing. Yeah. And then he ended up having like an 8.2, $8.6 million loan on it. And I think Columbia had it at the time. And then when I was calling the CCIM, really good broker, and you know I was calling him about it. And then my dad and I, we were looking when we were trying to sell and figure out to do a 1031, we'd probably look at 200 deals. So we were looking from Bellingham all the way down to Salem. And so we did find one building over in Port Angeles. It was an old, like a section eight bricker that was renovated and cash flow really nice. One of the partners knew it was a really good deal. So he was able to buy them out. And then we had dibs on a 40 unit that we could have bought for a substantial less but when we were coming down to Salem to go look at some property, the broker for this, what we bought, called me up and said, hey, I'm going to be getting some people in. The deal flipped again. And so I can show you some units. So we stopped by about one o'clock on our way down to Salem. And we looked at the units and they were all like two bedroom, two baths. 30 of them had never been lived in. You know, they were vacant. And, wow. we were, and it was 70000 a unit. Plus it had the final phase plans and all the infrastructure was there like water, sewer, transformers, gas, all the harnesses to go build the other 60 units. And those 60 units gonna be built outside the HOA. It's not part of it. 
Cool. And so our normal apartment building. Did you guys sell that land or do you have plans for it? Because it's really entangled and it's kind of landlocked to the HOA. So and we have the only office for the site. So it yeah. makes sense. So we were gonna sell both pieces together. So we renovated, we did like a twenty-three thousand dollar per unit renovations that we got done with at probably let's see, like twenty twenty, right? Yeah, you guys are just keeping with the same business model. Yeah. <laughs> Because we were going to build, but then building costs got to be a little bit too much. And then with our current condition of the units and not having everything, you know, really pushed up to the rents that we were going to need for the new building to pencil, we needed to have some proof of concept. And we were having a hard time at that time. Building started getting a little, there was a spike in demand. Yeah. So that's interesting. Can you tell us kind of you know, napkin style, your brief analysis on investing the $23,000 per unit. What was your rent on an unrenovated unit? You know, and I noticed like when I was looking through some of your stuff, we can get into some of the details, like, you know, in another podcast, if you want, and I can show you like all those calculations and things because I have really good records of that. But basically, so our rents from 2020 to now, or from it was about four hundred and twenty-five to four hundred and fifty dollars on average was the increase that we projected to do the, the renovations. So that justified pretty much the twenty-three thousand. Yeah, twenty-three. So that's less than a five-year ROI on that. That's pretty awesome. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done, have freedom in your time, and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. The way that I kind of justify it is just the rule of 20. You know, if you can increase the rent $1, then you get $20 of value at a 5% cap rate. The cap rates are probably going up as interest rates go up. So that's going to get reduced a little bit, but. And then um, you get a bump. We get a discounted cap rate because we're in an HOA. So there's probably another point that gets reduced, but then mm-hmm. maybe it's not as much as a point because the quality of it now, you know, some people might. And there's some stability in operations. So, you know, maybe it's a half a point, but we get dinged with value. Plus, yeah, our NOI is a little bit lower because the expenses are a little bit higher because of, you know, we, we have to put almost $1,100 per unit per year in reserves. And, then, you know, investors are looking at buying those, you know, that usually you figure 150 to 250 in reserves for, you know, Capital. Wait, so can you explain that? Why is that for the HOA is yeah, needing so, 1100 in reserves? Yeah, so if you're in Washington, you have to fund your reserves and you have a reserve study for HOAs and then those get updated annually. And then once every, I think, three years, it has to be a physical inspection. And then they go take a look at all the physical components of the exterior of the property, you know, your roofs, your siding, and then they assign a life to those. And then they assign a cost and then assign kind of a plan of when you need to, you know, it's just kind of a guess. But all that, 
in the machine, in the calculation machine, and then it comes out with, you know, you can either, you know, fully fund your reserves or it's, you know, as needed, or there's like a middle ground. There's three ways to fund it. And so we're kind of in the middle and it's about $1,100. That's, I mean, it's good in the terms of that the property owners or, you know, the residents of the HOA will know like kind of what they're looking at. And that if somebody's looking at buying, they can ask for those, I guess, site inspections and reserve studies and actually put a number to it as opposed to just kind of guessing. So I honestly really like that kind of those rules that Washington has. Well, the cool thing is, you know, like we have a 30 year plan to replace roofs, you know, and we just did the first phase because the units were built over like a 12 year period, 10 year period. Yeah. So you don't want to replace everything all at once because that would be kind of a waste of money. So it's kind of a phased approach, but you want everything to have some standards, right? So you do the work on the front end to get all of that dialed in that scope of work. So then in the back end, when new buildings come on, you have your team, you have a scope and you know what you're doing. Cool. So Todd, kind of now that you're to this point, you've got these renovated units, like what's the next plan? Like what's your next step? And then so, I also wanted to ask too, so I've got two questions here. Right. Is the other one is like, you've partnered with your family with these particular deals. Have you partnered with any other investors or you know, have done any other third party stuff like that? I haven't done a lot of third party. I had tons and tons of clients and clients you know, that I would work with, you know, in my property management days, I respect and you know we have fun that I would work with, but I try to just kind of do it for us because we're doing really well and want to alleviate as much stress in my life as possible, especially mm-hmm. after working 60, 80 hours a week for so many years, you know? So it's, and the renovations, one cool thing about that is that was all done with a loan. So truly all we have done is taken money out and used loans to go invest from that $7,000 investment. So, and then your first question was... What's next on your plate? I think maybe before the show, you told us, I mean, we met at the escrow office when, as you were getting a refinance and I was in there for another deal and we kind of just got to chatting and, you know, long story short, here we are. But, you know, I guess I'm kind of asking like, what's the next step for you in your investing career? So what we want to do is we're ready to go build and we could actually start building, you know, mid-summer. We could start doing the, the civil for the next few weeks with these loan proceeds. So we'll take roughly just probably a little bit over 3 million out. And so we want to put about 2 million of that into the bill that will roughly cost around 12. We'll need 12, another $12 million loan. So we're pretty close on being able to do that. And then we already have, once this loan closes, we can fine tune the cost of construction and then we already have some lenders and brokers that are salivating to get a regular underwritten market rate construction deal going. <laughs> Fun. Have you looked at, I guess, affordable housing options at all? And- yeah, I took, you know, I did take it to, you know, some tax credit people and it just, it didn't make sense. I asked the house authority if they wanted to buy both, you know, Vancouver, if they wanted to buy both. Yeah. And, you know, he couldn't understand what the condominium part was kind of weird. And I go, that's pretty easy. You go from, you know, renting to homeownership. Wouldn't that be 
continue that one that meet your goals for helping families and having affordable mm-hmm. housing. So they were just kind of short sighted. And we had this on the market for the units for 13.8 and then the land to go build everything for a million nine. And nobody wanted to touch it. They were giving us low ball offers. And when we got the appraisals back, it ends up being, you know, about 17 million for the units. And that doesn't include another half million for the office and all the extra parking that we have. So it's like 17 and a half million dollars. And, you know, there was tons of equity on the vine, but people, it's just, it's too complicated of a deal. So it wouldn't be smart to split the two sides of it up. So somebody like having the renovated units, it's kind of a double-edged sword because that turnkey investor doesn't want to go be a developer, right? But then the developer wants more meat and potatoes on the turnkey side. So we were kind of, we were fighting, you know, that, and that was going to be kind of an odd duck. And that's why we had priced it the way it was. But once you go, if we were to pull out that nine or $10 million worth of equity after, you know, paying off, you know, fees and just cost of sales and mortgages, we'd end up having, if it would have went, it would have been close to 10 million. Now we got to go figure out what to go buy. And in this market, go place that. If you're looking at a 20, $25 million piece of property, there's a lot of big investors that have deeper part pockets and are a lot more aggressive than we can be. And then what part of the country are you going to be in? And then there's just, we can now go control this deal more, even though we probably wanted to move on, you know, with the build, we can get a better return and, and we kind of know we won't be over leveraged and we know the area. So we'll, we'll just stay. Well, awesome. So if I'm hearing you right, you're pulling out money from the units that you have and you're planning on building on that land. Is that kind of, yeah, so that's yeah. your next move is like getting that construction going. That's pretty impressive. Like, you know, you go from like real estate investor to small multifamily to larger multifamily, then to condominiums and now doing development. Like it just shows the progression of the acquisition of knowledge that you have and your skill set and ability to do those different things. We've staved away from doing development just because we've gone through a couple of them and it's just, it's a larger amount of risk to take along with just more headaches and more stuff to deal with. But, you know, I commend you on making that leap. There certainly is as a developer, like more, like what you said, meat and potatoes in the deals. Um, and we're long term. Like if we were being a merchant developer, I wouldn't do that. You know, yeah, yeah it, for it, sure. It's just... And condominiums, there's no way in heck I would ever build a condominium. Yeah. Sell it, you know. I'd rent it for 10 years and then renovate it and then sell it, you know, and you don't have to worry about construction defects and yep. and all that. So yep, yep, yep. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, Todd, we're getting towards the end of our time now. So I'm gonna start us off with our last four questions. And the first one is what's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? Sounds kind of Funny, probably because you probably think that we've been aggressive, but I would be more aggressive about buying my our own portfolio. I would have managed it better. I would have probably started selling and buying more stuff that sooner to build up more. You know, it worked out fine for us, but it could have been. You know, you think about it, and you're going, "God, would have, could have, should have." You know, so much. It could if you'd have just so been a- active for more years, and yeah, instead and- of worrying about other people's stuff. But yeah, you know, that's kind of a double-edged sword because 
I cut my teeth and made mistakes on everybody else's dime, right? But I didn't, part of it, I got a salary or, you know, commissions. I didn't get, you know, they they paid me, but I didn't, you know, I made them a lot more money than what anybody else would have probably made them, probably less than some, but I'm sure I'm a good value add for your portfolio. So, you know, it was just better to work for yourself because no one appreciates you more than you. And then, yeah, just start now. I mean, especially like we're all in the industry, right? So whether you're, you know, I tell my managers all the time, I go, look, you, what you do on your little triplex or duplex or even a house, it's the same stuff. You use the same vendors, same maintenance guys, you know, the work that needs to be done. You've already got all the tools. You got all the tools, just (laughs) just take them and use them. (laughs) All the staff rates are the same. I mean, if every the principles are all there, you understand it, just do it. Yeah. 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 That's the message that we're trying to send with this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you hit it right on the nose. Yeah. Why didn't we get started earlier? (laughs) Cool. Okay. So you guys did that first deal in 87, but did you do anything before that? What was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? Uh, so back when I was 15, before I had a, <laughs> a driver's license, I ended up renting some acreage. It was flat, some industrial land that nobody was using. And you know, I talked to the owner, I go, you know, I'll watch it for you. And I get $50 a month rental on acres. And he was just being nice to a kid. And he wanted somebody to kind of be there on his land. And so then I had big logging truckloads of alder and wood, firewood delivered. I started bucking it up and selling it. But I had to hire a guy that's older, like 16, 17, 18, to go help to drive to go deliver the wood. So that was kind of my first, did that for some. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, I like that a lot. You know, first business checking account. And, you know, <laughs> oh, wow. Somebody. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the first one that I've heard that you've like, someone's employed someone as like a kid. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> Great experience, you know, working with other people very young. All right. So our next question is, how has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? So with Pinnacle, so Pinnacle Managed, it was the biggest fee management company in the country. It wasn't the biggest management company because there was like the gray stars or some of the REITs, like the equities at the time. You know, Pinnacle had about 160,000 units, 180,000 that they were managing, but that was fee management, third-party stuff. They didn't own anything. There was some ownership, but not near like what, you know, these REITs have. And so I was the first one manager from the site level to end up becoming regional in the whole company. And they always gave, you know, you need a four-year degree. I only had a two-year degree, but I always said, you know, look, I'm going to give you good results. I'm going to be a leader. You know, I want to be a regional and manage multiple sites. And so finally they gave me that opportunity. And then we just started growing my portfolio exponentially. It was huge. And so I was making, you know, decent money. So I didn't get in involved in like IRM, you know, I didn't, I became an, an accredited residential manager and that was about it. And then I was taking some of the CPM classes because I like the financial calculations and I like to see how investors, you know, look at things and how banks look at things and price things. And so 
I started taking some of those classes after I went on sabbatical and I ended up becoming a CPM. And then the CCIM, you know, I wanted to get that designation as well. And so I ended up taking the classes for that while I was on sabbatical. We've got both designations. Oh. And, and so that's my more formal. Now, the nice thing about that, so it's really hard for us to get a loan because the 60 units are part of the HOA, right? And we don't control 50% of the HOA. So me having the CPM and the CCIM, they took more credence on my performance that we were talking about, you know, that they weren't poofy numbers, right? And they took my experience level and the designations and that helped us. If we didn't have that, we probably couldn't have got some of the loans that got us to here. So some of the formal education, you know, it's good. And that they have great resources and all that. It's expensive, but, you know, that's we pay to be a good professional, you know, with continuing education and, you know, always trying to be better and learn more, you know, for our clients and for ourselves. But getting having the formal side of it really helped get cement some of our personal investments, which is kind of yeah. Yep. Well, you know, I drank the Iron Kool-Aid a while ago too. I think I've been a CPM for a little bit. I did let, I probably need to get back signed up. I let it lapse a little bit ago, but yeah, it's a great program. And I learned a ton while we kind of were working our way up to buying more properties. So that's, Iron is great. All right. And our final question, what was your biggest mistake and what did you learn? You know, so the biggest mistake probably in 97, I moved down to Portland. And then for about two to three years, we were bringing on one to two apartments a unit or a month managed. And we grew that office to about 12,000 units. And that was just an insane amount of work and growth in a short period of time. And we didn't manage it that well. And so, you know, we should have, you know, both as a company, but me personally too, I should have reached out to the company and said, look, this is the plan we need to put in place. But when you're right in the middle of huge growth, you don't realize what you should be doing. Kind of, You're just trying to, you know, you're always just, you know, growing and getting things right. And, it's, and, hard, you know, it's, it's hard to see the forest through the trees. Yeah. And so now, you know, I would have made sure that we move people up, you know, that could be even more than what I did, you know, to go have managers go on two or three, bring like pseudo regionals and then make it so that there's a stepping stone so they could be a true regional, you know, and that would have just been better for the company, would have been better for me. And we probably, you know, wouldn't have stumbled, you know, eventually, you know, so like we did. That's a great little piece of information. Yeah, it sounds like having a little bit of organizational planning is what you're talking about. Would, you know, taking a step back and evaluating instead of just kind of waiting through until you're too burnt out. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, you know, and then, you know, it's like when you're growing, we were like, we were taking on everything, right? And then I just kind of did a timeout and said, you know, there's some clients that are really bad. They're tarnishing our reputation. Or they're taking, you know, they only got, you know, a little 107 unit building that they've renovated and they're taking up, you know, 80% of my time. And, you know, I can't, you know, buy paper clips without them asking. And, you know, we have a management agreement. We have 
a budget that was approved. We have a budget narrative and, you know, you're just taking, so we got rid of, you know, they asking to do kind of things that were kind of maybe ethically challenging and, you know, you just don't go there and we had to give them notice. So, you know, we kind of cleared house that way to go give more time to our really good clients, you know? And so by making sure that, you know, you got a good client portfolio and then make sure how do you service them effectively and, no, if you're going to grow, make room for people within your organization that have got you there, right? So they've helped you get to where you are or help them get to where they want to be too. Grow everybody. You know, when you bring somebody in from the outside that might not have the same management experience, but they might have a four-year degree, business degree, you know, they're going to have a big learning curve, you know, and where you might have somebody that came up, you know, from the trenches that are just going to be invaluable to you from day one and they're going to be really loyal. Yeah. Well, Todd, thank you so much for coming on. I think it's really cool to hear your story and, you know, just share with our audience your success and just the power of compound growth when it comes to a real estate portfolio. $7,000 to 15 million in equity. I know that's over a long period of time, but you know, it's still, honestly, it's still amazing. I thought like, I mean, what is the return on investment right there? <laughs> I mean, I kind of like, I thought it'd be kind of fun to go put it in, but it'd just be, it's insane. So it's, like, <laughs> it's a lot. It's just, and it's actually probably a little bit more than that because one of the flips, not the flips, the, when we pulled out some money, we bought a family home over on the canal that's, you know, for yeah. 155000 yeah. and then slowly over 20 years have renovated that, and that's worth somewhere around a million and a half. So, you know, there's another, for a family home, you know, that, you know, that was just something that somebody didn't want. Cinder block, 4,000 square feet cinder block building, and, you know, my dad had a vision and slowly fixed up. And, you know, yeah. I, I, Todd, I did the math on it, and it is a 210,000% return. Yeah, it's like insane. 210,000%. What is that annualized though? I mean, annualized, if you divide it by 45, that's a 47% return, 47.6% return annualized. Here's the other thing. We kick off since 2012, we kicked off over $240,000 of positive cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. Internal rate of return. What about... When my dad was working, we did, all right, cost segregation. I mean, we don't yep. have time to go into that now, right? But everybody asks you, how can you go increase my NOI? Well, I don't know. There's not a lot of new widgets in apartments, right? So uh, we can raise our late fees. We can, you know, charge higher, you know, move out. Yeah. There's, there's some just not a lot of add. stuff. There's nothing new. Like, you know, what, a vending machine? Yeah, you know, but then that you start looking like a used car salesman, like, you know, add on, add on it. You know, <laughs> dog, you got to go pay, you know, it's like. I love okay. that analogy of the used car salesman. <laughs> I'm going to use that one with you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, oh, boy. God, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, we, yeah thank you. Down, really appreciate you coming on and look forward to connecting. Like, let's grab lunch sometime. Yeah, just let me know. Yeah. So appreciate well, if you ever want to go over. It's it's time. always great being able to talk with someone in our market. So we typically interview people all over the nation and like 
as someone that's actually in our market is like seldom few and far between. So this is a special one for us. Well, it was fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for allowing me to tell our story. Uh, if our audience wants to get a hold of you or maybe learn some more, would you like to give some contact information or just a way to connect with you? You know, if some people want to get a hold of me, they could, you know, it's Todd.Walker, L-O-C-K-E-R at Yahoo.com. My cell phone's 503-750-1812. You know, I don't really typically work with a lot of clients because I try to keep that, you know, I just don't need to do a lot of clients. But I yeah. will I'm pretty forthcoming with the information and try to help cool. people out. Well, awesome. Thank you. Thank Bye, you. Thanks. You guys take care. You too, Todd. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.